Gracias. Thank you. And it is a pleasure to be here. And you do not need to shush Atticus at all, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I don't know which was cooler, his amen during the song or Brother Jerry's prayer. I'm going to remember that. I may, I may start all my prayers kind of like yours. It's me again, Lord. That's not exactly what you said, but you know, you know who it is. So it's me again, Lord. Yeah, I like that. That's a real prayer, okay? Not, not, not worrying about a, a particular form or whatever. And he did know who it was, I could tell. And you knew to whom and through whom you were praying, I could tell that. It is a pleasure for Billy and I to be here with you tonight. She uh, has asked me to do the sharing, but you'll hear a little bit from her, and you'll hear about what the Lord's done through her as well. It is great to be here during the Lottie Moon Christmas offering time to just share and encourage you that the world isn't as a whole going you know where in a handbasket, although the nightly news would make you wonder sometimes. But there are six point, I don't know, what is it? 6.5, 6.7 billion people on the planet. So... Put that in perspective as you watch the evening news. And remember that I read just today from a friend of mine in London who started a course, who who leads a course, didn't start it, but leads a course that's gone around the world the last 25 years called the Alpha Course. Ever heard of it? Yeah, it's out of the Anglican Church. You know what the Anglican Church is? That's the basically Catholic church that the King of England started when he wanted to divorce his wife and marry someone, marry another woman, and the Pope wouldn't allow it. So he just left the Catholic Church and started his own church in England called the Church of England or the Anglican Church. Here in the States, it's called the Episcopal Church. Thank you. I couldn't even think of it. Uh, and most of their churches we would call dead churches and full of of uh, church uh, polity and church uh, ritual and not many people coming. But this church had an evangelical preacher come by invitation. Actually, it was a Pentecostal American evangelical preacher and preached a weekend at Holy Trinity Brompton Anglican Church in London. And heaven came down and people got saved about 25 years ago. And they came to realize they didn't know the Bible. All they knew was church tradition and ceremony. And so they started this course to teach their own church members the Bible. And when they got through with their church members, they said, why stop now? And they kept inviting people, started a lunch soup kitchen. And whoever came through the soup kitchen, they invited them back for another free meal at night. 30-minute meal, no religion allowed. You can't talk about religion during the meal. Just friendship, get to know each other. And then a 30 to 40 minute message from the Bible. And then coffee and dessert. And about 20 minutes with coffee and dessert of two or three questions to flesh out what had just been shared. And you're only allowed to talk about that night's lesson. And say what you really thought about it. And uh, 
They've been evangelizing and discipling people for over 25 years. I was at the uh, leadership conference for the Alpha course in June in London. We filled Royal Albert Hall. That's 5,000 people. And had 1,500 overflow at the Apollo Theater nearby in London. From 150 plus countries. And these are just leaders of Alpha courses around the world. Ten years or so ago, I heard that over 100,000 people had been evangelized in the U.S. alone. And it's on video now with Nikki Gumbel doing the course. And all you have to do is get them there, feed them a meal, simple meal, let the video play, and then have coffee and dessert and ask these three questions. And people can say, I think that's the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. I don't believe a word of it. And if you'll say, thank you for sharing, I used to feel the same way. Who else hasn't shared and move on to the next person and not try to argue with them or evangelism on the spot? You know what they do next week? They come back. You know what happens if you do try to evangelism, evangelize them on the spot these days, most people? They don't come back. They've been through that. They've been beat over the head with the Bible before. But after six or seven weeks of this 12-week course, those same people start accepting Christ. Now, that's one of the things we've been doing in Brazil for 12 years, in France for three years, and the last nine and a half years in Portugal through the IMB, Alpha Course. Nikki Gumbel, who leads that course and has for a number of years now, who was an atheist like me, his, his testimony is so similar to mine, uh, and then... My wife was a Christian, a sister-in-law was a Christian. In his case, his two best friends became Christians during college. He, st- he stayed up all night studying the Bible so he could prepare himself to talk them out of this religious thing they'd gotten into. And by morning, had come to believe the Bible, never read it before, and became a Christian himself. That couple that he was going to try to save from Christianity are leaders in the Alpha Course, especially in the uh, marriage course, which the Catholic priest, who's as saved as I am in Portugal, who leads the Alpha course nationwide there that we we partnered with, um, he named it Her and Him. Her and Him. I I can't remember what it is in English. Ela e Eli in Portuguese. But um, he posted on Twitter recently that... uh, These are exciting days in the world. He said there's been over 700 new churches started in London alone in the last 10 years. You didn't know that, did you? London's a lost place, I'm telling you. Over 700 churches. He also said that there's more Christians in China today than there are communists in China. Is that encouraging to you? It was to me. We need to hear those things. Okay, that good news channel hasn't really happened yet where you where you hear these things. But uh, and Twitter isn't too full of that either, according to who you follow, I guess. But I want to share with you tonight and I want to begin with scripture from first Corinthians chapter two, verses one through five. First Corinthians two, one through five. And this kind of sums up. Our ministry experience over the last 25 years. In three countries, and I don't know, I didn't, seven or eight cities, 
40-something mailing addresses in the last 25 years. And we were a few places so short a period of time it didn't matter. We didn't change our mailing address. But between back and forth to the States and family things and moving on the mission field and people dying on the mission field and going to cover for them and and all sorts of reasons that we've moved from city to city and country to country and house to house and all of that. Uh, never saw that coming. Of course, I never saw becoming a Christian coming either. I used to cuss you out if you tried to talk to me about Jesus. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. That wasn't Joel Olstein that wrote that. Bless his heart. Uh, so, Paul, who did okay in ministry, I think most of us consider Paul to have been fairly effective. We might even say a success. I don't particularly care for that word when it comes to ministry. But uh, that's been our experience. After coming to Christ at 23 years and 10 months of age, after arguing against it, after having my own, I'm the youngest of eight, after having my only sister killed by her boyfriend when I was 12 years old, she was older, after growing up with an alcoholic father and a dysfunctional family from that and so forth, I asked the why bad things happens question when somebody tried to evangelize me. And you know what I heard over and over at funerals and at terrible situations and including in response to my question? Huh? Yeah, and, and I believe that, especially in the life of Christians. But I wish they had at least said that, but I didn't hear that much. What I usually heard was, honey, we just don't understand. What am I going to say next? But we know it must be God's will. That's when I would start saying ugly things to you and tell you to pass that on to your God. And I meant every word of it. And it almost kept me from becoming a Christian. The life of my dear wife and my sister-in-law and a couple of other people were witnesses to me. And the birth of our first son, seeing that new human being, fully functional human being come into the world who did not exist nine months earlier, I became a seeker, a secret seeker. <laughs> I would not tell her. I didn't want her all over me again and all that and became a Christian. And all that is to say that I ended up becoming a Christian. If you had told me before that time that you are going to become a follower of Jesus Christ, not only that, you're going to become a minister of the gospel. But don't, hold on, that's not all. You're going to leave your family and your friends and your culture and you're going, going to live overseas in various places for 25 years because of the gospel, sharing the gospel. I wouldn't be here tonight. 
Because I would surely have died laughing at you if you had said that. Absolutely. So it was not with persuasive words and human wisdom that we went moved to Brazil in 1990 with a 9-year-old and 11-year-old sons and uh, studied language for a year and then totally uh, chopped it up for another year or so learning it and ministered for 12 years there starting various churches, starting deaf ministry. Uh, there, Billy's learned sign language in four different languages, four different countries, different in each one, but Portugal was wildly different came from a totally different source and has ministered to the deaf deaf are getting jobs to this day in brazil because of contacts we made and then billy used that to set up an arrangement with the third largest uh, job hunting human resource firm in the world brazil passed a law that you have to hire handicapped if you have 100 employees two percent of them have to be uh, handicapped if you have 10 maybe one something like that and companies were paying fines for not having disabled people on their payrolls. And Billy had been training deaf to type and do all kinds of things. Other churches were starting to do that. And we put this firm in touch with churches to put people together and get them jobs they could do and help these com- companies out. And they're great workers normally. And they don't want to lose their job. Things like that that God does that you never would have imagined. Okay, I'm going to go start a new church. Are you kidding me? 18 months later, there's a new church. First 18 months out of language school, and there's a new church, and we're moving 3,500 miles, 3,500 kilometers, 2,500 miles south uh, to a new place and starting over again. And on and on to France. Billy had some problems with the ultraviolet light wavelengths you get in the southern hemisphere. So for medical reasons, we moved to France. Not Portugal, where they spoke Portuguese. No, we had to learn French then. Instead of bon dia, it was bonjour. And uh, that worked. That worked. And then quadruplet grandchildren uh, pregnancy. Uh, The same year that they had their first child, our oldest son and daughter-in-law, got pregnant again in six months' time with quintuplets, One disappeared, and they gave birth to quadruplets. We took a year and a half leave of absence for that. When we went back, we went back to Portugal because we were losing our missionary force in Portugal. About everybody was coming home for one reason or another, and they didn't know what to do with Portugal because they had no one with experience who spoke the language to lead a a uh, reforming of the field force there. And then we called up saying, we're ready to go back to the field, and we think we might be being led back to the Portuguese language, which would mean in the northern hemisphere of Portugal. But we'll go anywhere, but we think we might be being led there. And they said, who have you been talking to? I said, what do you mean? We've been trying to figure out what to do with Portugal. And been at a loss, and now you're calling up. I assume you've been talking to somebody. And I said, my wife's been talking to somebody. As usual, she was the one that had that vision first that it was portugal and so we served four and a half years in lisbon after brazil and france doing deaf ministry got involved with the football team there no league yet but a football two football teams in town the second one had split into and become the stronger team the leftover players were still practicing and one of our missionaries ran into him he just happened to have played backup quarterback for the montana grizzlies 
during his university days. He gets involved, becomes the quarterback, then becomes head coach, draws some of the rest of us into it, and we're evangelizing young men in Portugal. You know how many evangelical Christians there are in Portugal? It's never reached in the history of the world 1%. There's still not one out of 100 evangelical or Protestant people in Portugal. That's including all the Brazilians who are there who are Christians and the Africans who are there are Christian. There's still not 1% of the population today Christian in Portugal. There's Catholics, mostly non-practicing, cannot tell you anything about the Bible or how to be saved. France was about that bad. They reached 2 or a little over 2% once in history. And then the king decided he was no longer a Protestant politically. He needed to go back to being a Catholic. That resulted in Bloody Sunday when they killed many of the Protestants in France. They rang the Catholic church bells and killed the, the Protestants. Put it back down below 1% again. 28,000 or 58,000, I can't remember which, which it was, died that day. We lived near one of the Huguenot cemeteries where a bunch of those people were buried. That's the history of Europe. Most people don't know how. And today it's postmodern, post-Christian, secular humanist. That's all they get in school. And you're an idiot. And your school teachers will tell you you're an idiot if you're religious. Especially if you're Christian. A little Buddhist wisdom might, might be okay. But this Christianity stuff, we've been there, tried that, didn't work. Our dictator that we kicked out in 1974 who abused us, he was Catholic. So when you kick out your Catholic dictator, guess what you kick out with him? The church he rode in on, and that's what they did. So there we are in Portugal, and we see some people come to Christ. Lives lives transformed through deaf ministry, through football, through English classes. Then we move south. We get our new missionaries, the largest force ever in Portugal. In three and a half years' time, we had more missionaries than ever before in Portugal. And we got them ready, and we split into three teams, and we move south to the Algarve region, and uh, where we had no missionaries to start new work. What we loved to do and felt called to do, we didn't need to be in charge anymore. We had trained up people. And what do you do? In an area where there's not much going. There's a there's one of our Baptist churches down there. About 25 years old. With about 35 members. And has never grown beyond when the missionary left. And handed it off to a Portuguese pastor. Kind of did it all for them. And then left it. And they didn't know how to do anything. Right? It was all done for them. So they just kept doing church. And so it had never grown, never multiplied. So we end up doing the same things. Billy gets involved in deaf ministry two, two hours away by bus because they shipped all the kids to one school over in F-A-R-O, Faro, means lighthouse, the county seat sort of of southern Portugal where there's a sleeper terrorist cell there and in Lisbon and in Porto. American Airlines knows about it. They put their people in hotels under assumed names and put them on the second floor or higher of the hotel to protect them. So we know they're there. But what do you do? How do you minister secretly? It's not China. So you end up with your picture in the paper as the, 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 the American who's starting an American-style football team here in the South. Uh, that wouldn't be too hard to figure out and find if you wanted to do a terrorist attack, would it, or kidnap somebody. 
But that's what you do. And three years ago, we started the Algarve Pirates. And I've got to witness to 30 and 40 guys at a time. First coach was an American, helped start a team in uh, London when he lived most of his life there after the, after the military as a welder with Rolls-Royce jet engines, married a British lady, retired in Portugal, sees my article, calls me up and says, I'm dancing around the house like a crazy man. My wife's asking me what's going on, and I'm telling her I'm going to coach American football again. And he did. Made him my head coach. He'd had cancer a couple of years earlier. He went on dialysis, and they thought the diabetes was his problem, but they couldn't get it right. Midway through our first season, midway through our first season, now in the league that we helped start a few years earlier up in Lisbon, we're in the league, and my head coach is given a few weeks to live. His cancer's returned. His liver's twice its normal size, and they can't operate with him on dialysis and things. <clears throat> Fortunately... You were praying, and we were too. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your giving. I felt led to go to the hospital two days earlier before he had any idea it was cancer. And I shared the gospel with Coach Lou from Massachusetts. Lived all his life in England just about. And as I'm reading... It wasn't this Bible because I left it with him and never got it back, the Bible I read to him out of. Reading the NIV, tears running down his face with his atheist British wife sitting there by the bed. And he said, I've never understood the Bible like this before. All we had was the big King James on the coffee table. And Coach Lou prayed to receive Christ that day. Jane did not. Jane Gittens, bless her heart, pray for Jane. She's now a widow. He died a few weeks later. Found out later that he called his uncle in a place called Virginia. I want to say Abingdon, but I've forgotten. I think it may be Abingdon. Black fellow, retired military, became a Baptist preacher after he retired from the military, pastoring a church in Virginia. Lou called his uncle up to make sure he did it right, told him the whole story, wanted to make sure he got it right. He dies. I mean, I've got some of my players there at his bedside two days earlier. And I'm saying, Lou, are you at peace? Now, he's on medication in the pain. He's in a bed in his living room. And he perked up, eyes wide open. He said, who, me? Oh, yeah, man, I got peace. He was a drummer in a jazz band, football player, all this. Cool guy. Attracted a lot of players to our team that first year some of whom have now accepted Christ. That's the first time I really shared Christ with that football team. I was getting to know them, building the relationship. But I shared with them that they didn't have to worry about Coach Lou because he had accepted Christ and he was going to eternity in heaven with God. Then they go to the funeral, and guess who they called to do his funeral? His black uncle from the U.S. of A. And he comes... Didn't meet me before the funeral. We got there at the last minute trying to get my Portuguese football players together. We slid in at the last minute. And it wasn't five minutes into the service that he shared beautifully the story of getting that phone call from Coach Lou. And shared the gospel beautifully through telling that story. And to this day, there's guys coming to Christ 
through that because we're there. We're not there without your prayers and without your giving and without your going. Now we're not there because we've come home early. We expected to be there eight or ten more years. But to our surprise, two months or so ago, we received word that this $21 million shortage we had had for five years in a row in our budget had now gotten to the critical point. We had no more properties around the world to sell, no more investment savings to draw from, and we needed six or 800 people to go home. And they wanted everybody over age 50 that had been on the field five years or more to put a blank check on the table with God and pray and ask if God might call you to another ministry back in the U.S. or some other way to be on the mission field because we could not support everyone. We need to keep supporting. We need to keep uh, appointing new people. If you have a, a member of your church feeling called to missions and they contact the IMB and they meet all the requirements and all that and then they're told, but we can't send you, we don't have enough money, you end up saying, we'll go over to this other organization and we'll give you the money and you can go through them and you take it away from IMB offering. That ha- that's happened in some cases. We tried that a few years ago during a shortage and it, it hurt the IMB missions. So they know not to stop appointing new people, young people. So they asked, we prayed about it, and to our surprise, God said, yeah, it's not for young families to go home and have to pull up their children from Portuguese schools or wherever in the world they are and pull up with children on short notice and go back and start over. Even though you're the experienced ones and you've got years left, they've got even more years left, and it'll be easier for you. Now, that's logic and reasoning, but that's what the Spirit said to us as well. And so we're here. We've been home six or seven weeks now, to our surprise. In a few weeks' time, we sold everything, gave a bunch of stuff away, tried to say our goodbyes, with Billy's mom's health deteriorating. And we set November 1st as the day to come home, as you prayed. And then her mom went on hospice care. And we had to move everything up 11 days. Sell everything quicker, give everything away quicker, not get all of our goodbyes said, and come home to a whole new life and a future that we don't know yet. So keep praying, because there's six to eight hundred of your IMB missionaries that are on their way home. This week was the signing day. Is this going to cause a problem? This week was the signing. Tuesday, we signed the final document. We are no longer IMB missionaries. We are 100% supporters of the IMB. If anybody was going to be angry about this, it'd be us. But we're not. We have worked hard for five, the last five years. And did you know our offerings have never gone down? It's not because offerings went down. It's just inflation. And more missionaries are staying, praise God, instead of going home for various reasons. Less than any other mission organization, the IMB keeps their missionaries. Because of the support and because of not having to run back home and beg churches to, and individuals to up their offerings again, like most missionaries have to do to this day. So every one to two years, about every missionary we know, not IMB, has to spend two or $3,000 several weeks in the States 
to raise their offerings back up. And then they run back over and try to do some missions work again. And then they have to run back home again the first time somebody can't give as much. And somebody over here can't give as much as they were. A church has a problem and can't give as much. Okay, we're going to run out of money. We've got to go back home again. We haven't had to do that. That's why we're here tonight. Instead of coming tonight begging you for money or else we can't go, we're here thanking you for having given and sharing with you what God's done with that. Multiply everything I'm saying to you by about 4,700 other missionaries. Now we're reducing it to about 4,100, but we're appointing 300 more this year and next year. So it's still going to be 45 to 4,700. Read recently that one apple can produce 250,000 apple seeds in two generations. You take all those seeds out of one apple and plant them. And those, what is it, four, six, eight trees? Produce all those apples and then take all those seeds and plant them again. And that second generation of trees will end up producing 250,000 seeds. I think I've got, got it right, what I read. That's the way it's supposed to work, here and abroad. We're supposed to be sharing and reproducing ourselves as Christians. The giving has never gone down. It just hasn't kept pace with inflation and the, the growth, okay? So every year, uh, we're to the point now we need $175 million to just make our budget. And we've received $154 million or so most every year. So it's $21 million short. Plus this past year they had extra expenses with some reorganization and some new things on the field, moving some people administratively around. So it's like a $39 million shortfall. And it came to light. Brother Platt, after only one year on the job, this got dropped on him. And he very hurriedly did the study. And saw that we needed to move now or we wouldn't even be able to give missionaries a few months pay to make the transition on. And then it would be ugly. And that's where we are right now. Billy and I are still a little glazed. We got home in time for her mom to recognize us. The last day that she recognized and spoke to anyone was the day we arrived. October 20th. We arrived at midnight the 19th. On the 20th, she acknowledged our presence. And didn't acknowledge anything thereafter. And died three days later. And I had the privilege of leading the memorial celebration service of Hazel, Ruby Hazel McCarty's life. So, Billy is grieving the loss of her mother. Grieving the loss of the, uh, the, the change after 25 years on the mission field. And we are saying praise God for the International Mission Board. And keep praying, giving, and going. And going. Here in the U.S. of A. and overseas. We need more people going. As career missionaries, yes, we still need more to go. But also as volunteers. For a week or two. Makes all the difference in the world. We're going to watch a video, a five-minute video here, showing 12 college students that came this summer. Three years ago, we had... Two years ago, we had eight, four guys, four girls, unplanned. That's just how many we got. Next year, it was four girls, no guys. This year, it was five girls and six guys. And then from Knoxville, where we're from, 
a young lady that had been on a volunteer team was serving the summer in Athens when her partner from the same church got sick, appendicitis, went home, and she was not allowed to stay in the Nehemiah program by herself. They had to find a new place for her to serve, and they called us. That gave us 12, six and six, summer interns, working with a summer sports camp that we did. In, in addition to the... Um, in addition to the football team, we got involved through the city, through Billy's deaf ministry, and uh, through her English ministry especially, and the football team led to a relationship to where we brought in volunteer teams of young people and adults and then started bringing in summer interns for eight weeks to work alongside young adult, older teenage and young adult Portuguese in a summer camp, sports camp, day camp with children up to 12 years of age. And they build these witnessing relationships with people their own age. Some with the kids, but you've got to be careful with that. But with these people their own age that didn't want to know about Jesus until they see these people their age happier than they've ever thought about being, more at peace than they've ever thought about being, with more meaning and purpose in life than they've ever thought about having. And by the end of the summer, they're getting to really witness to some people. And see some people come to Christ. So we'll watch this video. Multiply this by your almost 5,000 IMB missionaries that are still going to be on the field. And this is what it's all about. The most effective missionary force in the history of the world is the International Mission Board. The largest Protestant missionary sending organization in the world who keeps their missionaries on the field more effectively and longer than any other mission organization in the world. Yes, we've had to kind of cut back. We've had to make this decision. We're part of it. We're home seeking what ministry, pastorate, ministry of missions. We don't know what it's going to be. Uh, we're just praying and letting the Lord lead. We've done that for a while now in different countries. We can do that in the U.S. And uh, so we're just here tonight. To praise God together, to thank him for sending his son, and to thank him for using people like us to show his power. Some of these young people are already committed to missions. Buffett Heights Baptist came in 1995 to Brazil after we begged them and talked to them and did everything we could but ridiculed them for not coming. Our second term, they came, brought a volunteer team to southern Brazil. Our church was in a transitional neighborhood, not gaining new members, and losing ground. <sighs> Ten or twelve people came. By the end of that week, two were called to full-time ministry and are serving to this day. One's a full-time missionary, not with the IMB. Uh, I don't know if he could serve or not after two years in prison and all that before he became a Christian from, from Bristol, Tennessee. He grew up at the Presbyterian Church up the street from Euclid Avenue where we spoke this morning. And he had an uncle and aunt and cousin in Euclid Avenue Baptist Church. Punched a guy in a bar fight. He hit his head and died. John went to prison. Convert. Recommitted, converted something in prison. Got out and after coming to and bringing some guys from a halfway house with him that he had started. Guys getting out of prison and jail. He brought them with him. and they, they gave personal testimony in Brazil in high schools. 
blew people away. By the time the week was over, John was called to full-time ministry and did part did bivocational for a while, and now he's full-time. And another young man that's been our prayer advocate for years became uh, that too. Before they left Brazil, they said, we cannot go back and do church as usual. We cannot go back and do what we've been doing. And they went back and changed the church, sold the sold the church to an appropriate church for that neighborhood, bought land and built over behind Knoxville Center. It used to be East Town Mall there in Knoxville on Mill Road and have built and are a growing, thriving church with one young lady going to Vietnam for the second summer in a row, one young lady going to Zimbabwe for the second summer in a row this coming summer, Volunteer teams going to Brazil, Honduras, Nicaragua, and all points. And other people going to other places, as well as all over the U.S., doing mission projects, serving in everything in the world you can think of in Knoxville. A guy working maintenance at UT has uh, evangelized or gotten involved in international fellowship, 30 foreign students. A maintenance guy at the Humanities Building at UT. This guy's retired, semi-retired. Never done this before in his life. But this mission's emphasis in the church got to him. And when he runs into one of those foreign students asking him directions or something, he brings it. You, you actually remind me of him a little bit. And um, God's just used him. This is in like two years' time. He's, he's like, I can't go to church now. I got, I got to talk to him 20 minutes. He's telling me the new stories and all that. That's how God works. When you get this this vision for the nations. One of these young ladies was back for the second year in Portugal. Another one was with her the year before for her second year from Knoxville. This young lady, Lindley's from Alabama. She's okay, though. <laughs> we had te- Tennessee, Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Mississippi, Georgia. What did I leave out? Alabama and Arizona. Okay, out of these 12 young people. And they were used of God. Let me let you watch that and then I'll close and hand it over to Pastor. We just moved from. Yeah, they're cool. Okay, I'm ready. He's from Columbia, actually, studying in Oklahoma. Their apartment, one of the guys' apartment. 
Appreciate y'all so much and so thankful to hear that things went well last night as well as today. So that's just fantastic and an answer to prayer. You do sound tired and that's mostly emotional, we know. So we just appreciate you guys selling out, giving your hearts here. Stay in touch with your friends here by Facebook. Continue the witness and know you're loved and prayed for. The second young man that was kissing a shrimp is Portuguese. He has an identical twin who's not yet a Christian. They grew up in an Assembly of God orphanage that we did some work at. He ended up for one year on, on the football team. Then he got into kickboxing and working and running a, a cafe, actually. Growing in his faith through this international church that we were involved with the last two years is now called the ministry. You know how many people, when the when when it's below 1% evangelicals, you know how, how many people get called to ministry? 
uh, he's called the ministry. He's serving a one-year, what do we call it in English, stage, internship at a retreat center where they do lots of seminars and training courses people come to um, in England, outside of London. And he's there just, he's got a place to sleep and meals to learn ministry, to learn servanthood, to study his Bible and be used of God and to come back to Portugal after seemingly one year and probably get directly involved in ministry there. And those kinds of things keep you going when you end up having to leave the field unexpectedly. And just this actually kind of ministered to me and came to mind as we watched the video this time. Um, that's what it's about. That's the apple seed. That's the, you know, we're never going to evangelize any country in the world. Americans are never going to evangelize any foreign country. What we do is go and make disciples. And they, living it out among their own, is when the witness really flourishes. You know, we've pulled most of our missionaries out of Brazil today. You aware of that? Get this. Get the IMB mindset. You want to hear something crazy? Brazilians have become, they were always responsive. I mean, I was, I, evangelism is my gift. And you could, have, you could evangelize all day in Brazil. You could share the gospel with everybody you met just about effectively. Not everybody accepted at the spur of the moment. But you can't even do that. I mean, in Portugal, they will shut you down if, if you try that. Only Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons try it. And, and they think you are one if you try it. But... It's to the point now, after we pulled back and said, we won't pastor churches anymore, we're only going to start new churches. We will not pastor existing churches anymore in 1997, called New Directions. Ticked off a lot of missionaries. We won't serve in these roles, these roles, these roles. You all have been doing this for over 100 years now. It's time you did it. By the way, over a five-year period, we're not funding anything in this country anymore either that we were doing. All of our funding is going toward missionaries, starting new works, evangelism and church planting, making disciples. And we're going to be moving towards the lostness in the world. So we're going to be having fewer missionaries in Brazil, by the way. You know what they did with that? After all the screaming and crying for a few years in Brazil, they went out and started evangelizing their country. And they're over 25% evangelical today. Portugal's never reached 1% yet. Where would you send your missionaries? If you've got 25% already evangelical Christians, you know how many people each one needs to tell about Jesus? Everybody go tell three people and everybody will have heard. We don't need to keep all of our missionaries. Now, our numbers will look really good on our annual report if we send everybody to the countries that are most responsive. We can count a bunch of baptisms working side by side with the nationals. And we can give glowing reports and maybe get you to give more. But our folks said, no, the Great Commission is the goal. And staying in the responsive countries and doing nothing to break down those barriers and get to this point in those other parts of the world won't cut it. We can't call ourselves Great Commission Christian missionaries and do that. 
applaud your International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. That's the real deal right there. It was hard for a lot of missionaries to take because they went to the field to pastor a church in Brazil. And then after 5, 10, 15, 20 years, they get told one day, you can't do that anymore. And it was hard. And Brazil doubled their evangelism rate in about a 10-year period after we did that. And they had to start doing it themselves. And we were not big brother anymore. We were equal brother. And they're sending missionaries now. Cuban Baptists are sending missionaries out already since the doors have opened up a little bit. They're going to Nicaragua, Honduras, and Guatemala and places. Cuban. We all know about Koreans, some Chinese, Filipinos, and all that. The world is a different place. Is it all for naught? Is God no longer on his throne? 700 new churches in 10 years in London? Man, go to London. Go to London and talk to people about Jesus and get told how crazy you are by three out of four people and you'll understand that things are happening. God is at work and we need to be faithful. We need to keep praying, giving, and going and making disciples as we go in Bristol, Virginia. In Virginia... And the U.S. and to the other uttermost parts of the world. I'm going to turn this thing off, hush, and turn it over to Pastor Todd. Thank you all.